and welcome to Sunday on the Pod with Casey, Flo, and Rosa. Welcome to Sunday on the Pod. Sunday on the Pod is a podcast all about musical theatre. However, this podcast isn't just for performers, but it's for anyone who loves musical theatre. Each episode, we cover musicals that some of you might love, some of you might hate, or maybe you've never heard of them before. Either way, we will be singing and dancing about them. If you didn't already know, we pick a musical and discuss its plot, the show's creators dissecting specific songs lyrically, musically, delving into any juicy gossip in our brand new segment called Stage Door Secrets, and my personal favourite, putting on our very own casting director hats and choosing a fantasy cast with another brand new segment, the Mega Mix Casting. There's a lot of new changes and I can't wait to get stuck in. So, what are you waiting for? Sit back and enjoy the pod. As always, this is just a reminder as well that the best way to support our show is by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can keep up with us on socials too. We are at Sunday on the Pod on Insta and Twitter, and you can find us on our Facebook page as well, Sunday on the Pod. So, this episode we are covering a Goliath of a show that <laughs> is Sweeney Todd. Dun, dun. <laughs> the tale of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> now, Love we it. all know that it is a monster of a show and like any Sondheim show, it is an absolute beast with so much to get through. So for this episode, we have decided to slightly alter the structure and do a two-parter. Very exciting. What a way to kick off 2024. Um, so as Casey said, this first episode, we're going to be doing a bit of a deep dive on the production development history of Sweeney Todd. We'll look a little bit at the uh, the casting creatives of the original production before moving on to our stage door secret section and of course our mega mix casting. And then next month, we're going to do a music deep dive, baby. So we're going to be looking at all the iconic songs from Sweeney Todd, breaking down the lyrics, breaking down that clever, clever Sondheim music. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a real, real treat. So the musical Sweeney Todd was based on Christopher Bond's 1970s play, Sweeney Todd, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and the book by Hugh Wheeler. They decided to turn it into a musical because Sondheim had said that he felt that the addition of music would greatly increase the size of the drama, transforming it into a completely different theatrical experience. So the original production premiered on Broadway at the Eurus Theatre on March 1st, 1979 and closed just over a year later on June the 29th, 1980, after a respectable run of 557 performances. The production was directed by Hal Prince and the cast included Angela Lansbury as Mrs Lovett, Len Carew as Sweeney Todd and Victor Garber as Anthony. And I never knew that Victor Garber was in the original cast of yeah. Sweeney Todd. No, me neither. I had no idea. He was. And I've got a bit of a confession. I think Victor Garber is so hot. <laughs> even, <laughs> at, even at his age now, I don't know what it is about that man, but I fancy him so much. He was he was weirdly really fit in Titanic, and I don't know why. Like, I don't know what it Constantly was. Constantly fit. Yeah. yeah but, no, but then, to, to be fair, if anyone's seen Legally Blonde, which we probably all have... Um, he was slimy oh, in that, and I was creep. like, yeah, "Oh, he's... Victor, Victor!" No, see, no, no. in my head, 
in my head, I see Victor Garber as Daddy Warbucks and Annie. Have you ever seen the... <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Because there's obviously the original, like, the original film of Annie, but then there's like the <laughs> Disney version in which he plays Daddy Warbucks. So Yeah, I don't know. There's something about him, man. It's just... 74 and he's still doing it for me <laughs> and also if you want more if you want uh more victor garber content watch the um the 1997 cinderella that whitney oh, houston okay. produced oh my god he's in that as well which has got such a great cast actually really like it's got um whitney houston brandy uh, victor garber Whoopi goldberg bernadette peters oh my god, of course he's in the brandy cinderella oh my god yeah he plays this. the dad does he yeah he's the dad oh my god have you never seen that no no and i it's love really it she's brilliant i'm obsessed with her okay brandy's amazing in it as well she's so gorgeous in that film they got they've put it on disney plus but the oh my god it's my favorite version of cinderella and then i'd seen maybe like two days ago that they've actually put a reunion on so like the 1997 cinderella reunion oh my god so i will be watching that (laughs) so yeah victor garber as anthony um, along with many other respectable names the production was nominated for nine tony awards and it won eight. Oh my god i can imagine though i mean I can't, yeah, I mean, actually, to be fair, my mum, she was telling me that she actually saw it on Broadway back in the day. She saw it, like, the original production, and I am so jealous, and she was like, you, I cannot tell you how good it was. Like, she said, I can remember it even now. I can literally close my eyes, I can see it. It was that good. So I'm so jealous. But then, to be fair, I did see it with Imelda Staunton. So I'm kind of like, well, I mean, I've seen pretty... I really, <laughs> Hey, I really liked her as Mrs. Lovett. I really, really liked her as Mrs. Lovett. But, but it's weird, though, because some people some people have a mixed opinion of her, and I'm like, I will not say a bad word about her. She could read, you know, the newspaper to me, and I'd be like, yep, yep, keep, yeah, keep sorry, going. Yeah, sorry, ever since it. I saw her in Gypsy, I was just oh. like, yeah, you're Oh, my God, sorry, such a, such a detour, but have we all booked tickets for Hello, Dolly yet? Oh, as in the the screening? No, they're bringing... So obviously they've got the Hello Dolly with Amal Staunton. Oh, I, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not the biggest Hello Dolly girl. Ah! I know. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. We'll do, we'll do a trip out, though. I think we should do, like, a Sunday on the pod trip out and, uh, and Casey can scream at me until I like it. I do like it. I'm just, like, not the biggest Dolly head. <laughs> oh... I literally, we got told, uh, this is why I have such beef with my university experience, because we got told at the start of third year that a big, big possibility for our end of year show was Hello Dolly. And I was... Oh, no, I remember that. I was so ready. And then they were like, lol, joke, we're going to do Rock of Ages. Oh, God. But we didn't even end up doing that. We did Greece, which I don't know (laughs) what... They went all around the world with our with our shows, which was strange. Um, but yeah, I haven't booked tickets yet for it because with going to shows in London, it's such a pain in like, I'd have to pay for a hotel and travel down and things like that. So I mean, you yeah, are it's such always a... more than welcome to stay here as a slight aside to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone at home, if you need someone to stay, just stay at Rose's. <laughs> <laughs> in 
It opened at the Theatre Royal, starring Dennis Quigley and Sheila Hancock. The show wasn't as well received over here in the UK, and Sweeney Todd closed on November the 14th, 1980, after only 157 performances. Mm. Um, but even after the mixed reviews, the production did receive the Olivier Award for Best New Musical, but that was all it won that year. But yeah, it closed really quite quickly when it How when it came over here. Because, yeah. I would think like there's more of a like it's more of a it's it's obviously like an English story. Yeah, so you'd think that we'd be like we're obsessed. Yeah, but then there's I suppose there's an interesting like part of that where I kind of go into it a little bit later. Obviously, one of like the main conceits of the show is like this push and pull between like the industrial revolution and like the workers, and like one of the big metaphors of the show. Uh, when Hal Prince directed it was around like basically industrial revolution like spitting out Sweeney Todd's because obviously they were massively exploited and poverty was on the rise and stuff so it might have also it might just also be for London audiences they're like a little bit so close to us (laughs) what a depressing landscape I've also think that it's quite edgy isn't it well I mean not quite edgy it's actually a very edgy musical and I'm trying to think, but if I'm, I'm thinking like 1980. Wasn't everyone a bit more like liberal and like into? I, f- yeah. I feel like this happens today with some musicals where like a brand new musical comes out, everyone's like meh, but then like ten years later they're like, oh my god, it's amazing, and you're like, it's been out for ages. So yeah, I feel like that just sometimes happens with musicals. But I think I think it's more to do with like for this specific thing, like for this specific show. Definitely London audiences, if you think of, like, the context of that time, we're in, like, Thatcher's Britain, money is low. Yeah. <laughs> Workers are being exploited, you've got the minor strikes, like, the economy is at an all-time low. Musical theatre and the West End, that's escapism. Do you really want to... Do audiences really want to be watching that on stage? Well, yeah. Do they want to just be reminded of the kind of push and pull between the upper classes and the working classes like I I yeah. can't imagine if you were in that situation no you just wouldn't want to go and watch that you would want to go and watch something that's a bit more joyful I guess also like if there was a musical like about Covid we wouldn't be like I have to go see this musical we'd be like absolutely not I do not want to go see that so <laughs> I don't think anyone would want to go see that but <laughs> yeah I think like some and because it's obviously gone on to become so revered and like almost reassessed years afterwards by critics it is probably just because there's been a bit more of separation from that time and you can look back on it during you can look back on it with that lens rather than you know at the time being like I I mean I just wouldn't wouldn't not during the minor strike I would not want to go and watch fucking Sweetie Todd (laughs) (laughs) It took 10 years for the production to get a revival. Uh, So in 1989, it reopened on Broadway, but this time to a mixed reception after it had been so successful uh, 10 years prior. So the production was only nominated for four Tonys that year and it failed to win any. And the production closed after 189 performances. Um, So yeah, maybe that was more to do with the actual production rather than the show itself. Um. But yeah, so that one didn't last very long. And then after that, we see a few revivals sort of popping up 
both on Broadway and the West End. So there was a 1993 London revival um, and then a 2004 London revival. And then on to 2005, the Broadway revival starring the incredible Patti Lapone. Oh, that would have I been know. so good. Oh my God. She needs to come and over actually... here. She needs to do it. Oh. <laughs> but you can catch a snippet of Patti Lapone's Mrs. Love It at the Sondheim 80th birthday concert, my favorite concert of all time. Because oh um, I can't remember who the other, who the other guy, the other Sweeney that they get. Uh, she does a little priest with Len Carriou and then another Sweeney. I can't remember the guy's name, which was really bad. And it's so funny and brilliant and oh, just everything. So you can, audience, you can get a snippet of Patti LuPone doing Mrs. Love It and it's everything that you'd ever want. It's on YouTube. We'll post a link to it on our stories. Oh my God. Reading into this production, which I never knew, and I was like, this is a really random fact. But in this production, the actors all played their own instruments on stage um, with Michael Severis, who played Todd on guitar, and Patti Lapone on the tuba. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Since when does she play the tuba? I had no idea. <laughs> to be fair, you know what? She is a woman of many, many talents. So, but that is... Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm just trying to picture how that would work. Is she, was she like, it's priest. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how was that even happening? I don't know. I was going to say, especially like imagining like the really dramatic, like sad moments of being like, oh my God, he's dead. And then being like, here's my tuba. And I'm just bringing out this <laughs> giant tuba. Like it would just be so bizarre. <laughs> Oh God! So wonderfully, she actually played um, bells and the tuba in that uh, in that production, and uh, apparently she has always played the tuba. She <laughs> so she has like an Ask Patty section of her website, and this girl asked, "I was lucky enough to see Sweeney Todd at the end of August, and you and your tuba playing was definitely the best night of my life. I was wondering if you ever named your tuba in high school or during the show or at any other time." Patty answers. Yes, my tuba's name is Irene. <laughs> Irene, I wonder what that's after. Every night at the end of the show, she went back into the dressing room closet with me, and I would open it and I would say, "Good night, Irene." <laughs> oh God! I just really like Patty Lapone playing the tuba is not something that I thought I. I'd want I to see, see that though. I'd want to see that. Um, I've just looked it up and there is clips. There's clips. I think she played it during God That's Good, from what I can see here. Wow. Well, yeah. So you you learn something new every day. Um, so the success and rave reviews of the 2005 Broadway revival is, um, I think, I couldn't find any direct correlation, but I think probably most likely contributed to the movie version of Sweeney Todd, which then premiered in 2007. Um, on to the most recent revival, because there's been so many in between. There's been um, productions in Brisbane, um, quite a few in Asia, I think, as well. It's been kind of here, there and everywhere. So the most recent revival is the 2023 Broadway production starring Josh Groban, which every time I see Josh Groban's name, I can't help but but think, who is Josh Groban? Kill yourself. Which, <laughs> who is Josh Groban? Kill yourself. <laughs> which is my favourite line from Glee. <laughs> that literally, that is my favourite line from Glee. 
that and uh that when it's like the guy's interviewing will schuster and he's like what's on your ipad and he's like 80 percent show tunes 20 percent rock and then the 100%. guy's like 100 percent gay <laughs> god <laughs> i need to rewatch glee i haven't seen it in years i've started so a re- i've started a rewatch it's so good oh dear so yeah, starring Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford as Sweeney and Love It. The production also had uh, singer Jordan Fisher as Anthony and Gatton Matsurazo, uh, who from Stranger Things as Toby, which I didn't know. I was like, that's really yeah, cool. that was like a big thing at the time. Yeah, he went on to do that and I was very the, good apparently. The the stuff i've seen from that production of sweeney todd is just annalee ashford and i've tried to avoid it at all costs i really like annalee ashford i'm saying it (laughs) i think i love her i'm saying it i love her i think she's talented she's wonderfully talented i think we should just stop giving her roles in which she needs to do a british accent i mean yeah but then i kind of think that though with sweeney todd i think that's kind of part of its charm is that it is a caricature of like Victorian London, like no one really is like, wow, come and get your mate twice. (laughs) No one actually kind of talks like that. So I I kind of think it's fine. Like it's, you know, it's not meant to be. (laughs) I I can't with that. This is why I love the opening song with like, attend the Taylor Sweeney Todd. I love that because it's just so extra and so empty. Like it's just so empty. Oh dear. So yeah, the current production is still running on Broadway and has been since February 14th, 2023 and is set to launch a North American tour in spring 2025. But like dates, cities and cast have yet to be announced for that. But yeah, apparently it's going to go on a big, big tour around America. So Sweeney Todd, it's an absolute beast of a story if you've never watched it stop this right now and go and watch it but if you don't want to do that I'm going to tell you what it's about so uh Sweeney Todd is actually so as we've covered it's based on the play uh, the 1970 play by Christopher Bond called Sweeney Todd however it didn't come from Christopher Bond it came from the character of Sweeney Todd which first appeared in a Victorian Penny Dreadful now you're probably thinking what the hell is a Penny Dreadful really really good question because I was like is that like a coin or something basically a penny dreadful is popular fiction from the victorian age which cost a penny hence why it's called penny dreadful but i'm taking the reason why it's called dreadful is because the subject matter was usually something a bit disturbing usually about detectives criminals supernatural stuff stuff that's a bit more dark classic victorian england love um and this particular one sweeney todd is from um it's from a penny dreadful called the string of pearls um and it was published in a a weekly magazine during the winter of either 1846 or 47 it's kind of unknown maybe you girls will know if it's 46 or 47 but it's kind of that's what they said roughly Um, And this particular kind of story was set in 1785 and it featured the principal villain, Sweeney Todd, and it basically included all the plot that we have in our gorgeous swanky musical that we're talking about right now. It had the murderous barber story and then it was then obviously then turned into the play um, 
And actually, fun fact, apparently it was turned into a play before the ending had been revealed in print, which I didn't know. How fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? So yeah, and then it got created into this play. And I know that we mentioned earlier um, that Sondheim kind of mentioned that he wanted to add music because he felt it would kind of enhance it. Um, but he, so he went to go see the production, the play that was first put on at Stratford East in London. Um, and he quote said, it had a weight to it because Bond wrote certain characters in blank verse, which is obviously verse without rhyme. Um, he also infused into um, into it plot elements from Jacobean tragedies and the Count of Monte Cristo. He was able to take all these disparate uh, disparate elements that had been in existence rather dully for for a hundred or so years and make them into a first rate play. That's basically what Sondheim said. Um, and I can so see those Jacobean references because there is so many moments where we're like, oh my god. Um, so yeah, and then obviously then Sondheim. <laughs> Um, obviously sometime then added the music to it um and uh, as again as we just talked about it's interesting how um the US audience reacted very very differently to say the UK audience and sometime himself basically said that he thought that Sweeney Todd did better in the US because the audience didn't take it so seriously and that's why they kind of probably yeah which I thought was kind of interesting they probably were just like oh it's just a funny yeah it's probably just like a funny English play um whereas obviously we're like (laughs) obviously we're like oh my god that's real that's that's I feel sad um so (laughs) um and then obviously the, the amazing Hal Prince kind of gave it this like epic sense of what the actual kind of musical was really about so that's me kind of ranting about the origins, but the actual story itself is a bit of a beast, which is kind of why we've decided to split our episode into two. Rightly so, because there's so many different kind of plots, subplots. Essentially, we open Act One. It's a dull, gloomy night um, on the Thames River, and it's 1846, and uh, this boat emerges from the deep, dark kind of mist. I'm really setting the scene. It's, it's you know, late at night. And we meet um, a young sailor called Anthony Hope. And he has uh, just recently rescued um, a guy called Sweeney Todd, which is, you'll hear a lot about him. Um, and Todd basically tells him about his past, how he used to be this naive barber, um, and how this corrupt judge basically um lusted after his wife joanne and um the judge sent him away uh for basically doing nothing he didn't he didn't do a crime but because the judge wanted joanne he sent him away and i think i think it was probably australia if i'm thinking correctly like historically where they used to send prisoners it was usually on a boat to australia right and this is them basically re-entering London. And there's a fantastic song where he, um, well, the beginning of the song, where he has like this bit where he's like, the world is full of shit and it's London. Like he kind of like basically asks <laughs> the audience or he thinks of London and he hates London, basically. There's a hole in the world like a great black pit and it's filled with people who are filled with shit and the vermin of the world inhabit it. Um, probably one of my favorite lines but I mean there's so many different favorite lines in this musical um okay so then they 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 get off the boat and um 
you basically we get transported to Fleet Street, um, where we we see this kind of pie shop, um, and we meet Mrs. Lovett, who basically talks about the fact that there's a scarcity of meat, um, and that she serves the worst pies in London. Um, and Todd basically asks about the apartment upstairs, which we learn is where he used to live with his wife, um, Lucy. Uh, sorry, I, I called her Joanne earlier. It's Lucy is the name of his wife. Um, and she kind of talks about this previous tenant called Benjamin Barker. And then she's like, hang on a minute, Sweeney, you're Benjamin Barker. And he's like, yeah, I am. But I now go by Sweeney Todd. Um, and she kind of shows that she's kept all of his um, razors from when he used to be a barber. So that kind of sets the scene of their relationship. We then hear more a little bit about um, Lucy, his wife. And he kind of asks like, is Lucy still alive? Because I think Sweeney at this point still thinks that Lucy, his wife is still alive. And Mrs. Lovett is like, no, she poisoned herself and she died. So they kind of, that's how they leave that. Um, and uh, Mrs. Lovett says, don't worry, I'm gonna keep your secret that you're actually Benjamin Barker. It's all gonna be fine. Um, and we learn that Sweeney Todd is basically gonna seek revenge on the judge because the judge was the one who basically stole his wife away from him and made him go to Australia. Um, anyway, remember that fancy sailor that we met on the ship? This kind of then moves to the plot of Anthony and we see Anthony walking around London town and he hears this very gorgeous singing from the window, um, Greenfinch and Linnetbird, very, very high. So yeah, so he falls in love with um, with Joanna in the window. But then we meet a character, uh, which is the judge and the beadle. And the judge, who is obviously this horrible guy who did all these awful things to Sweetie Todd, uh, basically tells him to piss off um, and chase him away because he ultimately wants to be with really, really dark. He wants to now be with Joanna, even though he's a lot older. Um, so that's kind of like the subplot that's happening there and it kind of establishes those two characters. Then we get transported to a London marketplace, classic. I'm going to say it's Borough Market just for just for kicks and giggles. It probably isn't, but anyway, <laughs> kind of sets the scene. Then we meet um, Adolf Pirelli, who is this kind of dramatic kind of, I think, Spanish. I think he's I think he's pretending to be Spanish. I'm not really it's sure. It's like vague European man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he is basically charming this audience, saying that he's got this miracle elixir that brings your hair back. And we meet this very young boy who is working as his assistant called um, Tobias. I'm now going to transport you back to the barbershop where we then meet the sailor, Anthony, and he tells Sweeney Todd that he wants to take Joanna and he wants to elope with her and he wants to save her, basically. And he says, yes, because obviously Joanna's his daughter. Um, and he says, yeah, you can use the barbershop as a safe house. That's absolutely fine. He then leaves. Then Signor Pirelli turns up and he's like, bloody hell. And Pirelli's like, but it's quite, it's actually quite funny. Pirelli then basically drops his accent. He's like, I'm not actually Pirelli. My name's Daniel O'Higgins. And he's like, okay. And he then basically is like, I know who you are. You're Benjamin Barker. And basically it turns out that this guy used to be the assistant of Benjamin Barker and he recognises him. Sweeney Todd obviously then panics and is like, bloody hell, it's going to completely screw up my whole plan. So then he kills him. So, uh, so after he 
kills him. Um, Mrs. Lovett takes the small little, this is, this is a very important piece of information. Mrs. Lovett takes the small coin purse from Mr. Pirelli. You need to remember that. Remember that for later. And um, Todd basically is trying to plan on how to get rid of this body. All of a sudden, um, Mrs. Lovett is like, hang on a minute, I'm doing terrible for business. Why don't we use, why don't we use this body for something else? And he's like, oh, okay. And she's like, I think that you should use this body for me to make pies. And he's like, okay. Then his, his person that he wants to show up, which is the judge, the judge finally shows up to his, um, to his uh, establishment and he wants to get a shave. And he's like, brilliant. I'm now going to finally kill him. They come down, they have a course, uh, the whole kind of conversation about pretty women. It's a bit of a creepy song. Um, and then all of a sudden, Anthony, the sailor, shows up and he's like, I'm going to steal Joanna. And he's like, bloody hell. And the judge is like, no, you're not. And the judge storms off. And Sweeney Todd's like, what the fuck? I mean, I literally had him and now I can't kill him. And then Mrs. <laughs> Lovett comes up. He's like, what's going on? What's all the commotion? She's like, calm down, Sweeney we've got time, we've got time, we'll, we'll find another way to get him back. And then they basically establish that what they're going to do is they're going to set up a barbershop above the pie shop, where they're going to, they're going to murder people. Because he also we Sweeney Todd is basically at this point, he's like, everyone in London is full of shit, and everyone deserves to die. And he basically establishes that he's going to set up this barbershop chair that retracts backwards, and she can then use the bodies to make meat pies. And he can basically get his revenge. End of act one. So that is a lot. I know people at home are probably like, Flo, that's a lot to take on. But those are basically all the main characters that we've established. Opening act two. Dun, dun, dun. So opening of act two, a couple of months later, Mrs. Lovett's Pie Shop is an absolute boom of a success. Everyone loves her pies. We then learn that Joanna, who basically... Uh, so, so after the judge finds out that Joanna wants to run away to fall in love with Anthony, the judge gets really upset and he takes her to a lunatic asylum and is basically like, until you realise how good you've got it, I'm going to keep you here. So she's locked away and Anthony finds her and is basically like, I'll steal you. He has a whole moment again where he sings about Joanna as like, I'll, I'll save you basically. And Todd gives him uh, hair shavings from the, uh, from the barbershop and is like, Go in as a wig maker. Go in as disguised as a, as a wig maker to this asylum and see if you can save her that way. So Sweeney Todd has just sent Anthony to the asylum with these bits of hair disguised as a wig maker. But what Sweeney also does is he sends a letter to the judge telling him of the plan that Anthony is doing to save Joanna in order to get the judge back to the barbershop, basically to kill him. Meanwhile... Um, Tobias, who's working at the pie shop, he discovers a finger or a fingernail or something in the pie. And he obviously is like, oh my God, freaks out, runs to Mrs. Lovett, who's kind of become like his mum figure now. And they have a whole moment where he's like, I think there's something darker going on with Mr. Todd. And obviously because Mrs. Lovett's in on it, she's like, there's nothing going on. And then she's like, look, here's a shiny new coin. Why don't you go get yourself something nice? And he's like, hang on a minute, that's Senora Pirelli's purse. See, this is why I said listen to earlier. So the purse comes back and he's like, oh my God, that proves it. And then she's like, no, 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 this is nothing. You need to calm down. Obviously at that point, Mrs. Lovett's like, 
damn it, he knows. He knows what we're up to. So she then tells Todd, like, we need to get rid of Tobias because he's going to basically scarper the whole plan. But then Tobias flees to the sewers, to basically in, in hiding. Um, meanwhile, going back to the sexy sailor, Anthony arrives at the asylum to rescue Joanna, um, but then Joanna recognises him and exposes the whole plan. Anthony draws a pistol to save him um, and cannot bring himself to basically shoot the main lady in charge of the asylum, but then Joanna does instead, and then they flee, basically. Um, the judge and the beadle get to the barbershop, the beadle goes up first, the beadle is then killed, and Mrs. Lovett is basically distracting the judge. The judge then goes upstairs to be like, what's going on? And he gets, he has, he starts having a shave, and literally at the last minute, he's like, hang on a minute, you're Benjamin Barker? And he's like, I am! And then kills him. So he basically kills the beadle, kills the judge, it's all going great. We meet this beggar woman, right, in Act One. And she is, from the very beginning, is like, mischief, mischief. Like, she knows there's something dark going on in there. And she somehow gets into, like, the underground pie bit and is and confronts Sweeney and is like, I know what you're doing. I'm going to tell everyone. And basically, to get rid of her, he kills her. Um, and then Mrs. Kind of Mrs. Lovett comes in and is like, we did it, we did it, we did it. And then Sweeney Todd realises that the woman, the beggar woman that he's just killed is actually Lucy. And he turns to Mrs. Lovett and is like, what the hell? This is my wife. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, um, I told you, like, everything I told you was true. Like, she did poison herself. He's like, right, so you've been lying to me. They do a bit of a dance moment where he's like, oh, no, it's all going to be fine. He then chucks her into the fire and kills Mrs. Lovett. And then secretly Tobias has been watching the whole thing. And then Tobias kills Sweeney. Um, and that's basically how everything ends. So it's a real plot and a half. And I know some people at home who've probably watched it and are like avid Sweeney Todd are probably like, you've missed out this really important bit, but it is a long story. And if I've even just slightly tantalised your taste buds, you should just go watch it because it's so good. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> So moving on to the cast and creatives then, um, before we move on to my personal hero, godfather of modern day musical theatre and most important defining person in my life, obviously outside of my family, Stephen Sondheim. Obviously outside my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, love you mum and dad. <laughs> um, I just wanted to kind of touch on the show's uh, book writer and director. So the book for Sweeney Todd was written by Hugh Callingham Wheeler. Hugh Callingham Wheeler was born in 1912. And despite being born and raised in the UK, he actually lived in the US from 1934 all the way up until his death in 1987. And he only died eight years after Sweeney Todd debuted. So it was quite like a later in life. Um, he was working right up until he died. Um, in addition to being an incredible musical book writer, he was also a novelist, screenwriter, playwright and poet and wrote many successful mystery novels under some very fun uh, kind of pen names. So he had Patrick Quentin, Q Patrick, so clearly the inverse of that, and then Jonathan Stagg, uh, which I just think is a really great name for a mystery writer. <laughs> Uh, he wrote the books for many of Broadway's most successful shows, including Candide, A 
A Little Night Music, uh, also by Sondheim, and the 1980 production of Meet Me in St. Louis, Louis, who knows? It's Louis. <laughs> Hugh won the Tony Award and the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Book of a Musical in 1973, and 1974 for A Little Night Music and Candide, and then won both again in 1979 for his book for Sweeney Todd. So he's kind of, the guy was smashing it. He's also, I think this is so interesting, he is credited as a research consultant for the 1972 film adaption of Cabaret, and some sources kind of cite him that he was basically like the co-writer alongside uh, Jay Allen of the kind of the screenplay. Wow. But it's kind of not official. Yeah. But research consultant is really interesting. Wow. So he must have, I don't know, he must have done a few drafts, I reckon, of the, of the, of the screenplay. So the original 1979 production was directed by iconic Broadway producer and director Hal Prince. Um, if you know musicals, you know Hal Prince. He basically produced or directed every single successful show for, <laughs> from about 1940 all the way through. I think his last, uh, the last show that he directed was in 2015, only four years before he died. Um, so again, someone he was putting in a shift. Um, Harold Smith Prince was born in 1928 to a German Jewish middle class family in New York. And after attending the University of Pennsylvania, and a two-year stint in the U.S. Army, he began his theatre career as an assistant stage manager to producer and director George Abbott. So he first kind of dabbled in producing. This was his first producing gig, FYI, co-producing gig, The Pajama Game, uh, which won the 1955 Tony Award for Best Musical, and his career just kind of shot off from there. So it would take too much to go through every single show that Hal Prince worked on because he basically worked on them all. Um, <laughs> but throughout his kind of long and expansive career, he won a whopping 21 Tony Awards, including eight for directing, eight for producing the year's best musical, two as best producer of a musical, and three kind of special awards. Um, his credits include producing the musicals The Pajama Game, Damn Yankees, West Side Story, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Fiddler on the Roof, and Side by Side, and directing, and in most cases also producing, she Loves Me, Cabaret, Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, Candide, Pacific Overtures, Evita, Merrily We Roll Along, Phantom of the Opera, Kiss of the Spider Woman, and The Seminole Parade. What um, the hell? Just, just a few. The hell. <laughs> that is literally like all my musical theatre books, like <laughs> in one bookshelf, he's done. Like, what the hell? Oh yeah, my God. He, Hal Prince is the defining voice in theatre of the yeah. musical theatre of the last 100 years. Yeah. Um, so his work is renowned for elevating musical theatre as an art form and bringing really serious subject matter into the genre through his work. Um, so this is a really great quote from composer and lyricist Jason Robert Brown. And he said, more than anything else, when I think about Hal, I think about his belief in theatre. He believed in what it could do. He thought a lot about the world and the political systems and emotional support systems in it. He was very much a political artist. On the day that he died, 16th of December, 2019, all the marquee lights in Broadway's theatres were dimmed to pay honour to him. And really interestingly, he frequented with uh, Sondheim for years. They had a 20-year gap, I think, after the failure of Merrily, where they kind of, they broke apart, but they still remained friends. But they had like a, he basically produced and directed all of Sondheim's shows up until then. And when Sondheim originally brought him uh, Sweeney Todd to direct, Hal wasn't interested. He said that the structure wasn't experimental enough, um, 
But the thing that kind of made him come on board was when he tapped into what he believed the fundamental metaphor of the show was. And that was it was a critique of the Industrial Revolution and its impact on working class men. So Sondheim is quoted as saying, Hal's metaphor is that the factory turns out Sweeney Todd's. It turns out soulless, defeated, hopeless people. That's what the play is about to him. Sweeney Todd is a product of that age. But really interestingly, Sondheim himself actually disagreed with this. And he said, I think it's not. Sweeney Todd is a man bent on personal revenge the way that we all are in one way or another. And it has nothing to do with the time that he lived in as far as I'm concerned. It's these two juxtaposing drivers within the original show that made it a success. Sondheim himself just sees the personal story. He just sees the emotion, the driver for revenge. And, and Hal Prince sees the kind of wider political, cultural context of the times. So we arrive properly for the very first time on this podcast to Mr. Stephen Joshua Sondheim. To do proper justice to the man who changed the trajectory of modern day musical theatre and to a degree my own life, we want to dedicate a full episode to him, deep diving on his life and legacy. So please watch out for our Sondheim Odyssey in 2024. But for now, I'm just going to give you a whistle stop tour of the man who means so much to all of us. Stephen Joshua Sondheim was born on March 22nd, 1930 to Etta Janet and Herbert Sondheim in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Both of Sondheim's parents were Jewish and worked in the fashion industry. His father was a manufacturer and his mother was the dress designer. Sondheim reportedly had a terrible relationship with his mother, who he said was psychologically abusive to him after she divorced his father. They would go on to become estranged and he did not go to her funeral when she died. After the divorce, he moved to Pennsylvania to a place called Bucks County, and this is where he would go on to meet his neighbour, Oscar Hammerstein II, the famed lyricist and playwright, after befriending his son James. So it's described that Hammerstein essentially became Sondheim's de facto surrogate father and would prompt his interest in musical theatre. There's a really gorgeous quote from Sondheim who absolutely revered Hammerstein. He used to joke that if Jamie's dad has been a plumber, he would have spent his own life fixing pipes. And if it didn't really matter <laughs> uh, what Hammerstein did, he just loved him so much that he would have followed him anywhere. Oh, that's really sweet. Isn't that just so lovely? Yeah. <laughs> I love that sometime the famous plumber. <laughs> yeah. I know, and he probably would have been so good at that as well. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Sondheim wrote his first musical by George, age 16, and asked Hammerstein to review it without telling him that he wrote it. Hammerstein said it was the worst thing that he'd ever seen <laughs> and said, but if you want to know why it's terrible, I'll tell you. Hammerstein then took the afternoon to go through all the issues in the musical with Sondheim and Sondheim said in that afternoon I learned more about songwriting and musical theatre than most people learn in a lifetime. Sondheim would go on to write four more musicals for Hammerstein to review over the course of five years. Hammerstein gave him specific conditions for each musical. He said write one based on a play that you admire, write one based on a play that you liked but you think is flawed, write one based on an existing novel or short story that's not previously been dramatised and then write an original. Through the development of these shows, none of which were ever produced, Hammerstein continued to mentor Sondheim in the art of musical theatre. They remained lifelong friends, and before Hammerstein died in 1960, he gifted Sondheim a portrait of himself and inscribed it, For Stevie, my friend and my teacher. Aww. I'm just going to pause to let everyone cry there. Oh my god. <laughs> that is so sweet. I know. <laughs> that, that picture must be worth a fortune as well. Oh my god, it yeah. Must be it must have millions. been millions. I hope it's worth millions. 
Oh, I hope Jamie's got it. Jamie uh, Hammerstein, if he's still alive, I hope he's got yeah. it. <laughs> Sondheim studied music under Robert Barrow at Williams College, Massachusetts. He loved Barrow and he said later of his choice to study under him, I just wanted to study composition theory and harmony without the attendant musicology that comes in graduate school. But I knew I wanted to write for the theatre, so I wanted someone who did not disdain musical theatre, which I just think is such an interesting quote. Because like one of my big things is I think it tends to happen a lot, I would say, with musical theatre performer boys where they actually just don't like musical theatre that much. They're just good at it and there's like a disdain for the art form. So I just even like at that time that sometimes like, no, I want someone who loves this as much as I do, not who's just good at it and knows that it's popular. After graduating magna cum laude, Sondheim lived with his father for a few years, struggling to get by as a TV writer for the 50s show Topper. But his big break would come when he wrote lyrics for the wildly successful West Side Story in 1957 and Gypsy in 1959. Through long-time partnerships with producer-director Harold Prince and book writer James Lapine, Sondheim would go on to write both lyrics and music for his shows, dominating Broadway with his major successes. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, Sweeney Todd, Merrily We Roll Along, Sunday in the Park with George, and Into the Woods, to name a few. Sondheim became synonymous with success. His music was soaring and ambitious, his lyrics nuanced, reverent, and full of wit. His characters became an actor's dream, emotionally complex, fully realised, and more than a little difficult to sing. Over the course of his incredibly long career, Sondheim won eight Tony Awards, an Academy Award, eight Grammy Awards, an Olivier Award and the Pulitzer Prize, and six of his works were adapted to film. As I said, it's completely impossible within a short section of one episode of our podcast to go through the history and immense impact of Stephen Joshua Sondheim, which is why we're going to dedicate a full episode to him this year. But Charles McNulty summed up wonderfully in his LA Times obituary the week that Sondheim died. Sondheim deserves a spot on Playwriting's Mount Rushmore, for his contribution to the theatre is as significant from a literary point of view as it is from a musical one. In truth, you can't separate the words from the notes in his scores any more than you can pry apart form from the content in his shows. It is no exaggeration to say that Sondheim changed the nature of theatrical storytelling. Through his lyrical cleverness and openness to dramatic invention, through his canny balancing of romanticism and anti-romanticism, he carved out a space for ambivalence in a popular art form that leaned heavily on sentimental simplicity. Aww. <laughs> I know, it's just Steve. such a nice quote. Steve! <laughs> so, as we've mentioned, Sweeney Todd was a monumental success and is widely regarded in the musical theatre world as Sondheim's most realised, most successful work. It proved an even bigger hit with audiences and has been revived, as Casey said, a whopping three times on Broadway and on the West End. With these revivals and the national tours that it spawned, numerous Broadway West End revered musical theatre alumni have played the iconic roles of Sweeney Todd, Mrs. Lovett's and tonight, Joanna, Judge Turpin, and Tobias. So I'm just going to run through some famous casts for you. We've heard a few of these names before. So for Sweeney Todd, obviously we have Len Carew, Bob Gunton, who uh, played in Shawshank Redemption, um, the guy that runs the prison. We have Alan Armstrong, who, of course, was made famous uh, because he originated the role of Thenardier. Uh, we have Michael Ball. <laughs> who also Michael Ball. <laughs> um, and we have josh mate uh also we have josh groban for mrs lovett we have angela lansbury incomparable angela lansbury Aww. and really interestingly um when she was first approached about the role because sometime wrote it with her in mind 
um she was like yeah i'm a i'm a star like that's <laughs> the second billing like sorry i'm a star it's it's not she what did she say she said it's not mrs lovett the demon yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then eventually she was kind of turned around uh by how kind of amazing the songs were and and the character we have beth fowler um who also played mrs lovett and she is if you remember orange is the new black she played the nun the nun that was in prison oh, oh my really god. Oh, she yeah. did. <laughs> oh my god that's crazy there's a whole slew of famous stars who played mrs lovett we also have christine Verinsky, patty lapone of course imelda staunton and annalee ashford oh my god i love christine Verinsky. what a icon. good role for her i never knew that what, yeah. production, what production was she in so she was in the 2002 kennedy center's production of sweeney todd oh oh my gosh angel love christine <laughs> Um, obviously for Anthony Hope we have Victor Garber who my note here just says hottest man alive (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Hugh Pinero as well who would go on to kind of have major success as Phantom Adrian Lester, Matt Doyle um, and more recently Jordan Fisher of Hamilton fame Joanna Barker, uh, Sarah Rice uh, originated the role Betsy Joslin um, had a turn and then Lauren Molina, who's kind of quite famous for being in the rock band The Skitties. Um, for Judge Turpin, had Edmund Lindek, Dennis Quilly, Walter Charles, and then John Bow, who uh, some people may know because he is like, he's been on, I think he had like a 10 year stint on Emmerdale, a 20 year stint on Coronation Street. But if you are a Prime Suspect fan, um, he is like the one of the famous antagonists uh, in series two, George Marlowe, who was the serial killer. Um, if anyone's not seen Prime Suspect, uh, Helen Mirren is like, I think she was like 40 and she plays like this um, like chief superintendent who is basically, she solves crime, but she, it's just great because she like just has sex with a bunch of people and smokes a bunch of cigarettes <laughs> and solves crime. It's excellent. <laughs> And then for Tobias Rag, we had Ken Jennings, uh, Adrian Lewis Morgan, who is a UK actor, and he's actually the longest serving cast member on the daytime soap Doctors. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then, of course, Gaten Matarazzo, who is from uh, Stranger Things. <laughs> so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the incredibly popular uh, 2007 film adaption. So the film adaption was of course directed by the incomparable i'm using that word a lot but there's just so many people involved with sweeney todd that are incomparable goth hero tim burton with a screenplay by john logan and really interestingly i know that um i think it was casey said earlier that the 2005 revival might have spurred on the 2007 film and it, it kind of did but burton actually saw the original west end production of sweeney todd in 1980 in london and just became absolutely obsessed with it. At the time, he wasn't, uh, he was at university, but he wasn't, didn't know he was going to be a filmmaker, didn't even know he was going to have a career in the arts, and he said he'd just absolutely never seen anything like it on stage, and despite not being a big musical fan, he was struck by its cinematic qualities and was dazzled by both the music and its sense of the macabre. He actually went to see it three times in a row <laughs> so he watched My it the first gosh. night and then he went another three times because he was just so obsessed with it he actually spoke with Sondheim in the late 1980s to discuss creating a film adaption of the show but then kind of became busy with other projects 
So then in 2003, really famous film director Sam Mendes, uh, who people might know from American Beauty or 1917, he approached Sondheim and said, why don't I really want to adapt this? Why don't you write the screenplay? And Sondheim just turned it down. I think he maybe wasn't that interested in writing screenplays. Mendes went with another writer, John Logan, who wrote Gladiator, but then Mendes left the project in 2005 to work on another film called Jarhead. Never heard of that what? in my life, so wrong move there, baby. He left <laughs> it? Yeah, he left wow. it. And Jarhead. the producers were like, let's bring in Burton. Let's bring wow. in Burton. Um, so Burton was like, oh my God, like it's his life stream. Um, and Burton worked on uh, the screenplay with Logan so obviously the musical has a really long running time it's about three and a half hours and they decided to cut that down um, by cutting a lot of the chorus numbers sang by the people of London and kind of shorten other songs but Sondheim was consulted throughout and he was sent versions of each shortened song to approve it Sondheim himself was actually really in favour of cutting down the music, in favour of pacing, because he was reportedly not a fan of kind of musical to movie adaptions, which is just another reason why I think me and him would be best friends, because uh, I'm the same. <laughs> um, so he was like, yeah, absolutely. It's a different beast uh, putting a musical on film. It has to, the pacing has to be kept up. And Burton took a bit of a gamble and he cut the opening number, The Ballad of Sweeney Todd, and apparently said, why have a chorus singing about attending the tale of Sweeney Todd when you could just go ahead and attend it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I just think is really, really interesting. In casting Sweeney, Burton and his producers took what they called a massive gamble in casting Johnny Depp because he had had no previous singing experience. Depp took loads of singing lessons to prepare and although his voice is not particularly robust or powerful, critics remarked at the time that his pitch, phrasing and interpretation of sometimes lyrics and music was spot on and his fragile tone actually gave credence to Todd's kind of murderous heartbreak. The film also stars Burton's partner at the time, Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs Lovett, Alan Rickman as Judge Turpin, Sasha Baron Cohen as Pirelli, Jamie Campbell Bower as Anthony Hope, Laura Michelle Kelly as the beggar woman, Jane Wisner as Joanna, Ed Sanders as Tobias, and Timothy Spall as Beadle Bamford, which is just perfect casting. <laughs> it premiered in December 2007 in the US and was released in the UK in 2008. It received critical acclaim for Burton's direction, the performances of the ensemble cast, and its adaption from the original musical. It made a whopping 153 million against a budget of 50 million and has gone on to be regarded as one of the greatest film musical adaptions of all time. It was nominated for three Academy Awards. So Johnny Depp was nominated for Best Actor and then it was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design, winning Best Art Direction. Now this is topical, ladies. Um, what I found really interesting when researching this was the film's marketing strategy. Basically, they did what the recent Mean Girls musical uh, did, and they just cut all of the music from the trailer. So they didn't include much of the score or any of the music, and actually what happened was, because the trailer didn't really allude to the fact that it was a musical, loads of film goers in the UK went, not understanding it was a musical, and then many walked out of the film. Some even complained to the advertisement uh, standards authority, um, and said that it was kind of misleading. What? So well, you I had... walked out. <laughs> walked out. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> There's so many people though that are like, I mean, like, oh, it's a musical. I'm not like the the whole thing with Mean Girls is that apparently people have been going to it as well, 
and like as soon as they start singing they're like oh great it's a musical and i'm like why wouldn't you just welcome it with open arms because it comes back to this annoying thing that i feel like i have to fight every day of my life about people's opinion of musicals is that they're cringe and embarrassing and not as highbrow as other art forms which is just like all right if you don't like musicals that's absolutely fine but it's incredibly rude to basically say that it's not as highbrow as other stuff and what really annoys me about musicals is that they're held to this like standard that other things aren't held to so like the amount of people that I speak to that are like oh yeah I don't like musicals like oh god have you ever seen Hairspray it's so bad and you're like yeah I don't watch a like a bad film and then say all film is bad yeah the thing yeah. is though is that there's so many different types of musicals and I feel like I feel like okay so prime example my sister's husband was was not in that camping like musicals are terrible but he was a bit like I'm not really that bothered he was like I'd much rather go see a movie he then went to go see Les Mis with my sister and he is the biggest fan of Les Mis now and ever since then <laughs> Like, I love musical theatre. Like, he literally has a t-shirt with 24601 on. Like, he loves <laughs> it. So it's like, I feel like every single person out there just needs to see a musical that, that that suits them. So whether it's Sweeney Todd, maybe it's Hairspray, maybe it's A Little Night Music. Like, there's, there is a musical out there for everyone. And yeah, okay, yeah, there are like, there are more kind of cheesy ones where you're a bit like, oh God, it's very MT. But then there are also movie, like movies that you watch that are very like, this is very cheesy, this is very odd. But then there are musicals out there where you're like, oh my God, this hits so deep. So if there was ever going to be anything that would challenge that sort of, oh, it's all cheesy, like nonsense, then Sweeney Todd would be the one that would challenge that sort of theory. So yeah. Yeah. And do you know what's so funny as well? Les Mis seems to be the big one for a lot of men that <laughs> previously have disdain for musicals. I've a lot of like um, men I know are like, oh, I hate musicals, and then they watch Les Mis and they they just love Les Mis. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a really funny thing. I don't know what it is, but they yeah, they just love it. So we've touched upon that Sondheim apparently wasn't thrilled about the movie adaptation at first. Um, And after Tim Burton pleaded with him, he agreed if he could maintain casting decisions. Um, So originally Sondheim dismissed the casting of Johnny Depp, fearing he would be too sort of rock orientated and that his like voice wouldn't quite suit it. Um, And then Burton insisted and said that he would only make the movie with Depp in the role. So after several like singing auditions and and lessons and things, sometime then agreed, pleased with um, Depp's vocal progress, and he then went on to say in his book Finishing the Hat, which I haven't read but I do have, um, <laughs> he states that uh, to the two thousand and seven adaptation of Sweeney Todd is the only adaptation of one of his works for the screen that he actually approves of. Yeah, I think it's, but I think that's because one like Burton that was like his life's work and yeah. two I think he had such respect for Sondheim like consulting him throughout the process with like the songs being cut down and kind of obviously explaining wh- why they were doing that like how they were transferring it over to film and keeping up with the pacing like I think he had probably had such a hand in that as well that he probably felt like it was yeah a bit of his own yeah um and then, obviously, apparently they had worries about casting Helena Bonham Carter too because um, 
of nepotism. So <laughs> apparently she uh like daily and like would send sometimes singing videos um in order for her to kind of gain approval for the role and then he eventually said yeah which a lot of people don't like her in that role but i think she was brilliant i, I love, love her, her. me too i love her but also i feel like johnny depp and her and burkhardt just go together like they always i swear they've been cast before together they do work it's kind of like he'll only work with those two actors yeah that's <laughs> yeah basically um with helena bonham carter like she cannot sing well but no. she is very similar to Depp that she can interpret Sondheim very well. And that's like, that's what matters more, I would say, especially for the roles that she takes on. Like, like she, like it's fine for Mrs. Lovett not really to be able to sing as long as you're getting that pacing right and that wit and that interpretation. As, yeah, because she's got like the grittiness, like it doesn't actually quite ma- matter if she's not that melodic. And then it's kind of juxtaposition from Joanna as well, so. It's a bit like mm-hmm. um, it's a bit like when Judy Dench sang "Send in the Clowns." You're like, well, it's Judy Dench. I don't really care. I'm <laughs> still, she's still a mate, and she did. I mean, that is just like she's phenomenal. But people are like, she can't really sing. But I'm like, it's Judy Dench. Moment of respect, please. Another little fun fact that I've seen today which I don't know you might not find this interesting but I did is that Sondheim had said that despite Judge Turpin being a horrible person who does terrible things it's actually Mrs Lovett who is the musical's true villain largely because she's entirely self-serving to a sociopathic degree at the very least Turpin realises what he's done to Lucy and to Joanna uh, and his feelings for Joanna are wrong um, he also genuinely believes that any form of like sexual feeling is evil, so he has something of a Freudian excuse. Uh, mm. Sometimes said, but Mrs. Lovett doesn't have any of that baggage or self aware uh, self awareness. I don't know why I was awareness, self awareness, <laughs> awareness uh, doesn't have any of that baggage or self awareness, and is thus more reprehensible. I kind of get that because. Um, at the very beginning, obviously, she lies and it's like, you know, she's Lucy's dead, like she poisoned herself, she's dead. But she she definitely knows that that beggar woman is definitely Lucy. And also she's the one that's that plants the seed of it seems an awful waste. It seems a downright shame that these yeah. bodies are going to no use. So it's like she is very evil, and then John, then what Johnny Depp, oops, then um, uh, Sweeney Todd is obviously then like. Oh yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree in that her intentions are more wholly selfish in the terms of like she just wants to be with Sweeney, so she does all these bad things. But I'm also like, well, is it like just a thing of being like the woman's the villain? It's not actually all these men around her. Yeah, (laughs) kind of. (laughs) I kind of think that's like just quite classic, like. Oh yeah, it's it's her fault actually. <laughs> I also do think the judge is really creepy. The judge is so creepy. <laughs> I'm sorry, like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, but th- that's what he's saying is that he realizes that he's being creepy. Like he is well, absolutely stop. a villain. But I think the whole point. I think the whole <laughs> <laughs> literally. Yeah. If you realize you're being creepy, why don't you stop? Like... <laughs> I think the um. The whole point is that they're all villains, but she is entirely self-serving in the fact that she has the power to sort of 
reunite a family, but she's like, well, no, I think Mr. Todd is uh, dishy. I'm going to take him for myself. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like her, she has a more selfish intentions. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, I want my business to do well. I mean, she is on the brink of living in poverty. So that is a bit of a good justification, I guess. Not a good one, but it's a justification. And obviously, she's lonely and she wants to be with him. And obviously, Sweeney, we kind of, the whole thing is that you kind of were meant to excuse it because he's just had such a terrible backstory and it's kind of justified. Judge Turfin, though, like. Absolutely not. Uh, I don't agree with that. He's a creep. (laughs) Yeah, he's absolutely evil he like sent Sweeney away like drove his wife to madness like he is a terrible human being yeah so I thought it was interesting that uh, Sondheim like that was his opinion I also think the beadle is also Mm. really creepy as well oh yeah yeah Yeah. they're both just awful they're awful 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 but to be fair at least Mrs Lover is kind of nice to Toby until she's like yeah let's kill him I think that, you know, <laughs> obviously up until then, Toby has been, like, abused by uh, Pirelli and has, like, lived this awful life. Because I think he mentions that he used to work in, like, the Labour House or something. So there is that, like, sweeter side to her. But then it all gets a bit too crazy. Now this next bit I'm so excited about because we have the chance to do our very own fancy casting using our Mega Mix Mega Switch casting. Now this is the part of the show, if you're not already aware, where Rosa will give us a cast from any random show or production and we get the chance to cast them in Sweeney Todd. So without further ado, who do we have in today, Rosa? All right, girls. So this episode, I want you to cast the characters of Sweeney Todd using the cast of another Tim Burton classic, the movie Beetlejuice. So as a quick reminder for our audiences, the cast of Beetlejuice includes Alec Baldwin and Dina Davis. My, I love Dina Davis. She's my girl crush. Me too. Um, (laughs) As Barbara and Adam Maitland, who are the young couple who die and then become ghosts residing in their country home. Jeffrey Jones and the amazing Catherine O'Hara as Delia and Charles Dietz, the father and stepmother of Lydia Dietz, who's played by Winona Ryder. And they're the family who move into the Maitlands home and become uh, victims of the haunting. We have Sylvia Sidney as Juno, the Maitlands afterlife caseworker. And then Michael Keaton, Libby, as Beetlejuice, the evil entity that Lydia releases. So we've got Sweeney, we've got Mrs. Lovett, we've got Anthony, Joanna, Judge Turpin and Tobias Rag. Oh, wait, Kirsten, Mega Mix, Mega Switch. Okay, so straight away, I'm going to put it out there. I want Catherine O'Hara to be Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was going to throw that one out there as well. David, especially Catherine O'Hara <laughs> now. Especially, like, Catherine O'Hara now would absolutely eat that role up. I'd love to be like, Sweeney, I would just love to see her do. <laughs> Sweeney. Sweeney. We must get everybody to eat these pies. <laughs> Her her little priest would be great. Yeah. It's praised. <laughs> praised. I would love that. Um, I kind of want to see Winona Ryder as ah, oh, I want to see her as um Lucy. I want to see her as the as the as the beggar woman. I know she's a slightly smaller mm. part, but I think she would be really good as that part. I actually am gonna throw a little thing in here. I think I wanna see young Winona Ryder as Joanna. Slightly older Winona Ryder as Lucy. Yeah, I basically want both of them. <laughs> well, then where are we putting Gina Davis? 
Oh, Gina Davis. We can't not put her in. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. So Gina Davis will be... I love that we're like, okay, this is real casting. Gina Davis will be (laughs) Lucy. And then Winona Ryder Mm -hmm. will be Joanna. Okay. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I can see that. I'm going to say that young Alec Baldwin, young Alec Baldwin, I just want to put that in there, would probably be quite good as as Anthony Hope. Yeah. That was my Agreed. that was literally Agreed. what I was about to say. Yeah, definitely like 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 literally like as Alec Baldwin in Beetlejuice, that sort of like Yeah. He was yeah. quite twinky, wasn't he? In in Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> And I, th- I think it just makes yeah. sense to put Michael Keaton as Sweeney, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is very easy to cast. This is like, this is too easy. And then I think Jeffrey Jones should be, I think he could either be the Beadle or the, or the judge. One of those two. I would put him, I would put him as the judge. As a judge. Pretty, as the, just because he is actually a creep in real life. He. Oh, yeah, that is very true, actually. <laughs> Yeah, so fits the role rather well. <laughs> oh god! And then, oh, do you know who'd be great? I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays uh, Otho as the Beadle, uh, Glenn Glenn Shaddix. Yes, that's really good. Okay, yeah. And then we do need guys. We needed Tobias and Pirelli, oh. don't we? Oh. I mean, we could do, actually, we could do a gender swap uh, for Tobias. You know, Jane Butterfield. Yes. The, like... Um, the wee girl. Who keeps coming to the house to, like, yeah, try yeah, and get yeah. them to sell it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's... She's played by a woman called Rachel Mittleman, which is a great name. Mittleman. And then I think we could actually have Glenn Shaddix double cast as Pirelli. Yeah. Yeah. We have... Michael Keaton as Sweeney Todd, Mrs. Lovett, played by Catherine O'Hara, Alec Baldwin taking on the role of Anthony Hope, Winona Ryder playing Joanna Barker, Jeffrey Jones as Judge Turpin, Rachel Mittelman as Tobias Rag, Gina Davis as Lucy slash the Beggar Woman, and then Glenn Shaddix double cast as the Beadle and Finelli. I think that's pretty good. I go see that production. Burton, get on it, bibs. Let's do it. everyone thank you so much for joining us on this epic journey across Sweeney Todd the Damon Barbara Flight Street uh, <laughs> we've really enjoyed um, taking you through a little bit about Sondheim, Hal Prince Victorian obsession with true crime Penny Dreadfuls and our kind of shared love of Michael Keaton it's been a pretty fantastic episode we're really excited next month to bring you a bit more of a deep dive on the music. Watch out for that. I think it is going to be one of our hardest episodes yet, but it'll be really, really exciting. As always, please keep up with us on socials. Engage with us. Let us know what you want us to cover. And yeah, I think we're just so excited to bring 2024 season Sunday on the pod to you this year. And just like that, we've been... Worst... Pies... In London! <laughs> <laughs>